Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to be with you all this morning. Pastor L is on vacation, so I'm filling in for him. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. So I thought it was fitting. Last week we talked about uh, Jesus throwing a party, essentially. King Herod hosted a party, but Jesus hosted a better party. Jesus, as the good shepherd, fed those who were in need. He uh, cared for them. He gave them what they needed. He led them by still waters. He uh, provided for them in green pastures by feeding the 5,000. So since I figured we talked about Jesus uh, feeding people with a bunch of bread, I figured this week we could talk about Jesus feeding people with a bunch of wine. How about that? Um, so if you turn with me to John chapter 2, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dig in. This is a John's gospel account. He is going through Jesus' life and ministry, and he structures his gospel around signs. Uh, signs were meant to point us to, to Jesus, to tell us something about Jesus. So as we read, we're uh, going to ask the Lord that he would teach us about himself. So again, John chapter 2. This is the reading of God's word. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman or ma'am, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars of water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Amen. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word that you are so good that you have spoken to us. God, you did not create us to be left in the dark. You have created us to seek you, and you have created us to know you, and you have provided a way for that to happen through your word. So, God, I pray that we would know you more deeply. Uh, we would cherish you more deeply. Lord, we would receive your word with faith, that we would believe it. We would receive your word with love, where we cherish it. Lord, I pray that we would lay it up in our hearts, we would meditate on it, Lord, and we would practice it in our lives. Let us not only be accumulators of information, Lord, I pray we would be obedient servants. Lord, I also ask that you would help me to preach this, Lord. You have already spoken. There's nothing that I need to come up with. There's no opinions of me that need to be said right now, Lord. I pray that you would help me to explain what you have already said. Lord, I need preaching power. I really do need it. Lord, I need you to strengthen me. Lord, I need you to enliven me, and Holy Spirit, I need you to be in the midst of this place, that we might be changed and transformed, that we might see your glory. Lord, we love you. Amen. 
All right. So my wife, Janelle, and I, we like to do weekend trips. Does anyone else like to do weekend trips to drive down to New Orleans you know, for a weekend or go down to the coast or drive up to Memphis? See, I'm kind of boring. My wife likes to do all these weekend trips. I just like to sit on the couch and you know, watch Netflix and do kind of like a mini staycation in my own house. But you know, Janelle loves to go. You know, sometimes we'll go to Hattiesburg. You know, I guess, I'm not sure how many Cadovas are in Mississippi, but the one in Hattiesburg is the only one we know. So uh, she's like, oh, let's go get some Cadobas. So, so she, you know, we'll drive to Hattiesburg and get some nachos. You know? So we just like to do those little things. And usually I'm the one driving. So we'll go to Hattiesburg. We'll be driving back. And on the way back, we'll see these signs. It says Jackson 60, Jackson 30. And you know what we've never done driving back to Jackson? We've never just been like, slammed on the brakes, jumped out at one of the signs and said, we're here, right? Why have we never done that? Because signs are not the destination. Signs are meant to point us past themselves into something else. It's meant to point us to the destination. And that's what's going on here in John's gospel account. He records different signs that Jesus does. And they aren't meant to be uh, attracting attention to themselves. They're meant to point us past themselves to Jesus, who is the destination. So here, this is the first of Jesus' signs. Uh, And these signs are meant to teach us something about Jesus to reveal his glory. But what can we learn about Jesus in water being turned to wine? What can we actually learn here? So in order to understand the sign, you have to understand a little bit about Jewish weddings. So um, have any of y'all ever been to a reception? You know, I know when, when I was getting married, I had my reception was only three hours, and it was like a whirlwind. I still am finding out the different type of food we had there. People are like, man, I love the macaroni bar. I'm like, I didn't even know we had a macaroni bar. You know, just the weddings just fly by. It's a whirlwind. But this is the thing. Jewish weddings lasted for a whole week. So this is kind of how it would go. You would have the groom, and he would go, and he would uh, kind of create a marriage contract with the bride. They would kind of uh, they, they would be betrothed or kind of engaged. And then he would go back to his father's house, and we, he would start to prepare their lives together. He would prepare the feast. He'd be preparing a place. And the bride and all her bridesmaids would be waiting for the groom to come and get her one night. So every night they'll be looking out, waiting for the groom to come. And then one night, it's time to celebrate. The groom and his groomsmen come. The brides and the bridesmaids are, are, are ready. And they're going back to the groom's father's house. And they're celebrating. They kind of have like a little parade on the way there. And, you know, they're throwing stuff. And they got, you know, a celebration going on. Then when they actually get to the father's house, the, the, um, the, the man and the woman, they know each other physically. And then that's when they're officially married. And so then they party for a week. They, they, they have feasts. They have wine. They have... Uh, food and music. It's just a big celebration. But here's the thing. At one of these weddings, it was a giant no-no to run out of wine. They would have, if they ran out of wine, they would have been the talk of the town for years. It would have been that type of thing where, you know, it's like, hey, you remember back then when they ran out of wine? Oh, that was so crazy. I can't believe that happened, right? It's almost like you having your own wedding reception and, you know, you, you find out that only, you know, you, you had enough to feed 10 people, but there's 200 people coming and everybody's hungry and they're sitting at the reception while you're taking photos. Like, where's all the food? We're hungry, leaving. This is the worst reception ever. That's what it was kind of like. And so do you have a big dilemma right here? They ran out of wine and Jesus comes in and saves the day. So I want to drive home this main point for our time together. 
Jesus is the life of the party, so invite him to yours. Jesus is the life of the party, so invite him to yours. I want, I want you all to try something with me real quick. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. is Jesus invited to your party? Let's try it again. Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor. Say, other neighbor. You look good and everything. But is Jesus invited to your party? All right, I think we're ready. So I want to look at three things. I want to look at the jars, the wine, and the groom. Um, so first, I want to look at the jars. Jesus is the life of the party because he cleanses you. Jesus is the life of the party because he cleanses you. In verse 1 it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the, rhyme, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up with the brim. So here we're at the wedding, and Jesus' mother, you kind of see she's behind the scenes. She finds out when the wine runs out. Now, I imagine this wasn't widespread information. Jesus' mom is, you know, I don't know what it was like. They might be in the kitchen, and they don't have any more wine to put in the little jugs with the little dispenser. So she goes out, and she's like, Jesus, we ran out of wine. And, you know, she's looking to him probably because he's, he's a resourceful guy, and he's probably the man of the house at this point. And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, Jesus says, woman, you know, I know if I say that to my mom, I get popped in the mouth, right? <laughs> But Jesus doesn't mean it like we would mean it, right? But back in that day, saying woman was kind of like saying ma'am, or, uh, you know, it, it was a more formal or, or more respectful term. And he says, what does it have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So when Jesus always talks about his hour in this gospel account, he's talking about his death, the time of his death. He's basically saying, I've come to die, so what does running out of wine have to do with me coming to die? But Jesus, like he usually does, he finds out uh, how to make it have something to do with him dying. He turns this into an opportunity to be his first sign. Uh, so, so, so what he does, he, he uh, you know, Jew, uh, Jesus' mom says, hey, listen to him. Jesus says, hey, grab these stone water jars. And so here's the thing. Back in, the, back in that day, uh, they had all these rituals of cleansing. When they would go to a party, where they would go to any type of feast, they would rinse their hands out in these big water jugs. So you, remember, you imagine like big tubs of water and you go into the party, your hands dirty. I don't know if they had nail clippers back in that day. So they might have long nails with dirt and stuff under them and, you know, just nasty stuff. And you washing your hands in this water and probably cleaning your nails and it's grimy and dirt and greasy, right? Imagine just like a sink just filled with water and everybody at your party is washing their hands in it. You know, after that party, you just have a ring of dirt in your sink. Uh, that's what these stone jars were like. And Jesus says, hey, y'all, I want y'all to take those for me. <laughs> right? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? So you have these stone jars filled with this nasty, greasy, dirt-filled water, and he's going to turn this into wine. He is going to make something nasty into something amazing, he is going to make something dirty into something clean. 
He's going to make something that people are going to discard. He's going to make it the center of the party. And this points us to Jesus' own cleansing blood. See, Jesus, by his blood, cleanses us. We have sin and, and guilt, and he cleanses us. Now, I don't know if y'all are like me. I did um, a, a nasty sport in high school. I did wrestling, right? So we, uh, you know, we, we, we would uh, be in singlets, and we'd practice for three hours, and we were sweating. And there's always those people on the team who wouldn't take showers, and so they have, like, infotigo. If y'all don't know infotigo, it's just like when your skin scales up and it's pink. Um, and, you know, they have ringworm. You literally have a ring on your, on your uh, body. You get fungus infections and all this nasty type of stuff. So my coach, he was like, because if you had those, you couldn't compete. So my coach was like, look, I do not care how you feel about taking showers with other dudes. You are going to get in there. I don't care if the shower is cold. You are going to take a shower because I'm about to be mad if you cannot compete because you mess around and got ringworm. So after practice, you know, if you're a freshman or sophomore, you know, you, 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 you really couldn't get in there. The, the water was hot for 10 minutes, right? And then you know, the freshman or sophomore got in there and, and, and took a cold shower. But I did not care. I don't care if the shower was cold. I didn't even care if I had to put on the same dirty clothes again. I was taking a shower because I wasn't finna be caught with no infotigo around my neck, right? <laughs> I didn't even care if, uh, you know, if it was 15 minutes. I, I could put on the same dirty clothes drive home for 15 minutes, and then hop in the shower when I got home. I did not want those germs to be on me even for the 15 minutes while I'm in the car. I didn't want the germs on my seat, right? I would like, sometimes I would sit in the car like this, like don't even want my back to touch the seat. But can't life leave us feeling like this? That as we go through life and walk through life, we've been through things, we've done things, we've thought things, we've desired things that leave us feeling spiritually dirty? that leave us feeling like we need a hot, hot spiritual shower. That I don't know if y'all are anything like me, we, we've, we've been guilty. We've done things that we're ashamed of, that we wonder if we are really lovable. How can we ever be loved if we've done this thing? We wonder if I am truly known, if anyone ever find out what I truly do and what I truly think, will I ever have a place where I can be accepted and loved? Sometimes we've been a part of things that we try and forget about, but then that, that thing happens or something comes up and reminds us of that thing, and we're in this kind of funk for the rest of the day because we're trying to forget about that thing that we've been trying to run from. Has, any, has anyone else been there? That we carry around all this baggage and all this dirt and all this shame and all this guilt. And the Bible calls, our, the Bible calls us having an, a, a defiled conscience. See, our conscience is the thing, a part of us, that tells us if we've done right or done wrong, if I'm acceptable or if I'm unacceptable. And our consciences are oftentimes dirty in need of a deep, hot spiritual shower. And family, this is what Jesus provides. Jesus, by his blood, he cleanses you. He doesn't just clean you halfway. It's not a cold shower either. It's a full thorough, 100% cleansing. He forgives you 100%. You are loved and accepted 100%, no matter how shameful you think you are. Jesus on the cross, he has died for all of those things that we are running from. And he invites us to confront them, to stare them in the face and speak the gospel to them. See, the lie from Satan is that we can never be loved because of our guilt and our shame and our filth. And the truth of the gospel is, is that Jesus has died for us. And by faith, by relying and trusting in Jesus, we can be cleansed. 
But here's the thing. Amen. But here's the thing. Don't we sometimes so often run to other things besides Jesus to cleanse ourselves? That we run to entertainment, that we got to be looking at Instagram and Facebook and listening to music and got the TV on. We can't dare to sit in silence or else we would actually have to confront ourselves. Don't so often we run to alcohol or sex or whatever these other things that can numb us or make us forget about just the, the guilt and the shame for a, few, for a few moments. And then we have to wrestle back with it again. Sometimes we run to success. Could it be that we feel like if we're busy enough and if we're driven enough and we're focused enough, we won't actually have to deal with these things? And dare I say, sometimes could it be coming to church? That if we feel like we're part of enough Bible studies, we know enough church folk, if we can say the right lingo, if we can sound churchy and holy, and if we can be inside the four walls of the church enough times that we can somehow escape the fact that we have not actually dealt with our sin and actually brought it to the Lord. And this text gives us good news that Jesus doesn't bring temporary cleansing like these stone water jars where they had to wash their hands over and over again. And the reason why there's so much water is because they had to clean themselves over and over again. Jesus brings a cleansing that is once and for all is done. You don't have to think about it again. You don't have to worry about if you need another sacrifice, another atonement, another satisfaction. Jesus has paid it all. The second thing I want to look at the wine. Somebody say the wine. We've looked at the jars. Jesus is the life of the party because he brings cleansing. But also, looking at the wine, we see that Jesus is the life of the party because he brings gladness. Jesus is the life of the party because he brings gladness. Look at the text. It says in verse 8, And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. So we see here that Jesus takes these nasty stone water jars, and he, and he turns them into wine. Now, what he does is he fills it up to the brim. So they were like, you know, people were using them so there wasn't as much water in them. He fills them up. I think John includes this detail to show us that it wasn't just a trick. He didn't put water, like wine on the top and then there was just water on the bottom. That he really did turn this water into wine. And then uh, he tells them to bring the jar uh, to, to the master of the feast. And he tastes it and he says, ooh, this is, this is some good wine, right? And see, here's the interesting thing. This isn't just like some cheap Stella Rosa Kroger wine, 5% wine, you know, the kind that I buy that's basically like grape juice, right? This is like that old wine in a mansion in the cellar that's been sitting there for 50 years and you got to pay $400 for it. This is the kind of quality wine that Jesus has made. And if you really think about it, Jesus doesn't just do enough for everyone to get like a little, you know, communion cup size, right? Jesus, so imagine, you have six jars. Each of them is 20 to 30 gallons. So, I, you know, think of like a gallon jug and then times that by 20 or 30 and then times that by six. That's how much wine Jesus made. 
So not only is it rich, good, high quality wine, it is in abundance. There is more than enough for the party. You see, this party was about to come to a screeching halt. The party was going to be over. Everybody was going to go home. But Jesus keeps the party going and going and going. Now, I know some of y'all, if y'all are like me, you, you grew up in a Baptist background or, you know, some of y'all were in a Pentecostal or holiness slash sanctified church, right? And uh, you're like, wine, what's Jesus doing here? Fooling with wine, right? Y'all are wondering kind of how wine fits into this. You know, y'all, y'all Presbyterian reform folk, y'all already kind of on board with the wine stuff, you know? <laughs> y'all might have a glass of wine for dinner, you know what I'm saying, with the spaghetti. Um, you know, and some others of y'all are like, man, I don't know why he turning into wine. He should have just turned into clean water, and they would have turned up on water, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. You have to, in order to understand what's going on with this miracle, you have to understand what wine means in the Bible. So, first of all, it's a sign of God's goodness in creation. Psalm 104, you don't have to turn there. But Psalm 104 in verse 14 says, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So the psalmist says God has created oil. God, like basically God's created lotion, right? God has created um, bread to strengthen man's heart. And he's created wine. He's created all of things, these things for people to enjoy. They're part of his goodness in creating a good world. But not only that, it's a sign of his goodness to his chosen people. Look at uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7. You don't have to flip there. It says this in verse 13. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. So here, wine and grain and cattle, all of these things were a sign that God is faithful to his people. So if Israel didn't have wine, God wasn't faithful. They're like, what's up? Like, where, where's the wine, right? And some of us know that the, the, the giving litanies in our churches growing up, that your wine shall burst forth with plenty, right? Or your vats shall burst forth with plenty. Uh, I think I got that right, right? Vats uh, is an old school King James. But we, we know that this is a sign of God's goodness. Uh, and we, but we also see not only is it a sign of his goodness to his people, it's a sign of his end time blessings, that in the new heavens and new earth, which is the end game of Christianity, a newly renovated world, a perfect world like this, but times a billion better, times better, there will be a feast. There'll be a wedding feast. It says this in Isaiah 25. We read it in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. So he's talking here, there's going to be rich meat. It's going to be full of marrow. I imagine it's going to be like some pork chops in the new heavens and new earth or, you know, like a good steak with, with a glass of red wine. And it's not just any type. It's well-aged, high-quality wine. So when you see here, when Jesus turns water into wine, this is a sign of basically heaven. Jesus is pointing us forward to this party that we will have when God makes all things new. 
You see, Jesus is the person who will throw this party. And he, by doing this sign, is showing us that he is here to bring gladness. Jesus is here to bring celebration. Jesus is here to keep the party going. So what does this mean for us, Christians? It means that your faith is about gladness, that God is out for your joy. Now, you know, John Piper, you know, a lot of us have read Desiring God or heard of John Piper or seen, you know, some of his videos. He, he has the saying that God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him, right? But believe it or not, John Piper was not the first one to come up with that, right? Uh, this goes all the way back to year 300 when the North African church father Augustine was talking about it. it even goes back further than that when the Bible talks about it here in John chapter 2. Hey, your duty and your delight are not separate things in your walk with God. Oftentimes when we think about delight, we oftentimes don't think about duty. When we say, I got to do my duty, is oftentimes like, oh, you're only doing your duty? Like, that's lame, you know? But then when we talk about delight, you must not be doing what you're supposed to be doing because it's too delightful, right? But God kills both of those. He says, your duty and your delight in Christ go together. When you're doing your duty, you're doing it to delight in God. And when you're delighting in God, you're always doing your duty. God commands us to do what is most delightful to us. So, I want to encourage us to enjoy God. I want to encourage us to enjoy our redemptive blessings, that we ought to be glad, we ought to celebrate that God has forgiven us. Sometimes we can just say, God, forgive me for my sins, and we don't actually stop and think about how radical it is that we have offended the God of the universe, and he forgives us, right? We often say, oh, Lord, you know, I'm grateful that you love me, but do we ever really stop and think about what it means to be loved by God? That is a happy joyous thing. God just doesn't love us. He also loves you and he wants to love you. Have you ever thought about what it actually means to be a part of God's family, that we are called sons and daughters of the living God? When we come to church, when we are uh, participating in the fellowship of the saints, when we're hearing the preached word, when we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, when we're seeing baptism, when we're praying, these are meant to be times of celebration. We should walk away from these things happy, even when life is falling apart around us, that God, because of who he is and what he's done for us, is injecting gladness. But also, not only that, lest we think we're so spiritual, we also got to enjoy God's physical, material blessings, right? We should enjoy a nice spring day. We should enjoy marital sex, right? We should enjoy friendship. We should enjoy hanging out with other people. We don't have to have a devotion at a party in order to justify why we're having a party. You can just get together around other people, and that's what God wants you to do, to celebrate, right? If we're getting together and doing s'mores, let's just enjoy s'mores and hang out, right? That's what it means to enjoy God's creation. Let's enjoy marshmallows. Let's enjoy the fact that God made chocolate, right? <laughs> we should enjoy Things like good food and a good glass of wine. It's not a bad thing to enjoy nice things with modesty, right? We should have parties. We should celebrate. We should get together and have fun. But so often we take these things and we twist them, right? We take these things and instead of enjoying them, don't we oftentimes destroy ourselves with them? 
God has given wine to be enjoyed, but we somehow figure out to destroy ourselves and our families with it. God has given us other people to enjoy, and somehow we figured out how to destroy ourselves and other people at the same time. God has given us nature and recreation and places to enjoy and to build for God's glory, but so often we fail at doing that. So often God has given us our physical bodies to enjoy and and to delight in, but we neglect the care of our own bodies along with our own souls. And family, when we misuse these things, these are called false joys. These things, when we misuse them, we have to realign our joys. We have to realign our priorities. We have to see God as the ultimate joy and these other things fall into place. That we can only truly enjoy these things when we enjoy them in the ways that God has instructed us to enjoy them. Have you ever thought about this? This is just random. This is not in the script. I think about this often. The text in Genesis says that God gave them every tree pleasing to the eye and good for food. Like literally, God gave them a bunch of good food. It even looked good, right? Have you ever been to a meal and not only tasted good, but it looked good, right? How do we mess that up? Right? They wanted that one tree, right? That one fruit that God said do not have when they had an infinite amount of other joys available to them. That's kind of a picture of us. And God is calling us to enjoy his creation and enjoy his salvation, not with our own ways and by our own inventions, but by his own. Lastly, I want to look at the groom. Somebody say the groom. Jesus is the life of the party because he's the groom. Jesus is the life of the party because he's the groom. Now you see here during the feast, I imagine so there's kind of a little bit of humor uh, in this. So, so you think about the groom, and he might know, maybe, maybe not, he might know that the wine has run out. And so he's, he's like, man, this is not a great way to begin my married life. He's like, you know, his uh, bride is probably about to be crying. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm sorry, y'all. His bride is probably about to be, this pollen, his bride is probably about to be crying. <laughs> you know, his, his wedding night is about to be ruined. He's about to be the talk of the town for the next couple years. And so he's just like, oh, man, like this, this is really not good. And then guess what happens? The guy who was hired to be the MC at his wedding, you know, maybe his DJ comes up. He's like, man, you the man. You the man. Most people serve their best wine for first. But you waited till the end to save your best wine. People are tired of drinking wine, and you leveled up even then. It's like, man, you really are going to be the, ooh, like, man, you, you are the man. And he's just like, uh, I guess, right? I think I did that. I'm going to just keep rolling along with this thing. Somebody gave us some wine, right? So you see that they all think this groom is responsible. They think he did it. But what they don't know is the ultimate true and better groom behind the scenes is actually responsible. Jesus, the true and better groom, has saved the day. 
Now, nowadays in movies, there's this kind of genre of movies that's pretty popular. You know, you have the genre where there's this um, old retired guy and he kind of lives a quiet life. You know, he reads books or he might, you know, do kind of little meaning meaningless jobs or he's, uh, you know, the, the uh, guy who lifts the gate up at the parking garage. But you really don't know that he's like an ex-assassin CIA agent, like secret ops guy who can just like, you know, do some unspeakable things, right? So, you know, you, you, know, you, you got Denzel who's in these movies. You know, you got um, Liam Neeson who's in these movies. You know, um, Keanu Reeves is probably not old enough yet to be in this genre, but he's getting there. He's in these type of movies, right? <laughs> Uh, so the, the, there's, there's this one movie where, you know, the, the guy is, he, he basically had this long and storied career, and he didn't get a chance to be around his wife and be around his daughter, so he doesn't really know his daughter. He got a divorce, and he's, um, he's estranged from his previous wife, and, you know, she, she gets remarried, and, he, and now he's trying, now that he's retired, he's trying to get back in her life. And so, you know, she wants to go on this trip overseas to Paris, to see this concert, and he's like, I don't know, because he's seen the world. He's been to Europe. He knows how, you know, just sick the world can be. He's like, I don't really know, baby. You know, she's still a teenager. And then the ex-wife, she's, she's being annoying. She, this, this, the whole first part of the movie irks my nerves. And she's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, if you don't let her go, you will lose her forever. You know, and she's just like, he's just like, okay, I'll let her go. But they, he doesn't know that they are lying to him. She is actually going to go all around and tour Europe and follow this rock band and be on all these type of adventures as a teenager. So she's going on this trip. He thinks that she's going to be safe and everything. He gives her a phone. He's like, hey, call me when you get there. She gets there. She's doing silly stuff. Like she's, you know, taking pictures with strangers and stuff, getting in the car with strangers. And, you know, there's all this sketchy stuff going on. And then... Uh, he, you know, she, she calls the dad, and dad's like, I told you to call me. And she's like, hey, dad. And then, but while he's on the phone with his daughter, she is getting kidnapped. There's people breaking in the house. She's under the bed. She's crying. She's like, oh, daddy, I don't know what's going on. And he's telling her, like, she didn't even know he's like an agent. And he's like, so you will be taken. But what I want you to do is when you're taken, I want you to look at his face and describe his face. Tell me any scars or anything like that. And, you know, she gets taken. She's like, ah. You know, she, she gets taken. And the phone is there on the carpet. And, like, the, 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 you know, the kidnapper picks up the phone. And he's breathing on the other end, like, <sighs> like, breathing all heavy. And then Liam Nesson, he's like this old guy. And he's on the phone. And he's just, like, uh, sitting there. And they're on the phone. And then he says, this has got to be one of the greatest action movie quotes of all time, maybe top 10. He says this, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills that I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you, right? Like, I get goosebumps every time I see that scene. I'm like, whoo! And then, so the guy on the other end is like, good luck, right? And so he said good luck, thinking like this dude is, you know, lost his mind, but he didn't know he's a CIA agent. So he's going overseas. He's just, you know, doing all these different type of things. And this is the thing. Uh, this is the thing that is, is powerful. I think... I love these type of movies, and I think we all do for two reasons. 
Number one, we see that here's this guy and we see his level of skill, right? He's going overseas. He's chopping people in the throat. He's like setting up IVs on people. He like knows how to be a doctor. And then he's like getting shot at. He's taking bullets. He's in high speed chases. This guy's like in his 60s probably, right? He's punching people in the face. He's probably got arthritis, right? <laughs> he probably hadn't run in years. He's running after boats and jumping off bridges and stuff, you know, dive rolling, right? Um, He's doing all this crazy stuff. And I know me, if my daughter, she have a daughter, I love my daughter, but if she got kidnapped, I would want to do all that, but I know I'm staying at home because if I went overseas, I'm going to mess around and get kidnapped too, right? <laughs> like, y'all going to be looking for me, right, and my daughter. Because I don't have the CIA skills. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have the set of, unspe of, of unspeakable skills, right? And it's also the other thing. The daughter lied to him, right? So you see the magnitude of a father's love for his children, right? The ex-wife lied to him, the daughter lied to him, and I'm just mad because I'm like, ah, but he's just, he, he, he doesn't get upset. He, you know, the ex-wife is like, bring our baby back home. And he's like, yeah, I'm gonna go get her. And he's going overseas and he's pursuing her until he gets her, right? We are entranced with this level of love, a love that knows no limits, a love that knows no bounds, a love that will go through hell and high water in order to get the one he loves. And family, this is how Jesus loves us, his church. This is how he loves us. He loves us with an unspeakable set of skills. He's the CIA agent who's gone on a special operations mission to planet Earth to save us. And he has an unspeakable love. And this is the story of the Bible from beginning to end. You see, from the beginning of history, God has been pursuing a people. He has been chasing after us. He has been trying to woo us to him, to honor him as king and to enjoy his rule. But we have lied to him. We have spat in his face. We have turned our backs to him. We did not thank him or honor him as God. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, we have turned against God and over and over again, he has shown his mercy to us. And the highest and most pure picture of this is when the son of God, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but became in the form of a servant, became a man and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, like where in the Jewish wedding, the groom went and he made a marriage contract with the bride. Jesus has came and he's made a marriage contract with us, but he didn't make this contract with silver and gold. He has made this marriage contract with his own precious blood that he spilt. And just like in a Jewish wedding, that they are waiting for the groom to come back to bring them into the celebration of the feast. In the same way, we are waiting for someone to come and take us back to live with us forever. This is Jesus. And whereas in a Jewish wedding, they have a feast and they celebrate and they party for a whole week. When Jesus brings us to himself in the new heavens and new earth, when he returns, there will be a celebration, not just for a week, but for weeks times weeks times weeks times seven times 70 times seven million. And the Bible tells us this. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to him, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Family, this is, this is what it means to know Jesus. There is a feast waiting for us with well-aged wine and, 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 and meat full of marrow. And if we know Jesus in the here and now, the joy and celebration, a little taste of that feast is ours. Right here and now if we have Jesus. The joy of the feast is ours by faith. Lastly, the text says this in verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You see, here's the thing. Jesus did this sign, and there was a lot of people at this wedding, but only his disciples beheld his glory. Jesus displayed his glory, but only a few saw it. And family, by me preaching today, by me reading this scripture, explaining this scripture, Jesus has manifested his glory. Jesus has displayed who he is and what he came to do. And it is up to us to respond to that. You see, his signs demand a response. We must respond. Now, for those of you who have uh, never heard about Jesus, or maybe you have heard about Jesus, but you never really cared about Jesus, I want to invite you to see his glory with the eyes of faith. Believing is how we see all of his beauty and all of his goodness. I want to invite you to believe in him for the first time. But maybe those of us here who have been believers, we've believed in Jesus for a long time. We've beheld his glory, but maybe we've lost a sight or a vision of his glory. Maybe it's gotten old to us. Maybe it's become boring. Maybe it's become uh, maybe the cares and the stresses of the world have caused our faith to become weak and dull. I want to invite us again to renew our vision for God's glory, to be re-energized by the fact that he cleanses us, to be re-energized by the fact that he brings us gladness and he is out for our gladness, to be re-energized that there is a God who loves you and is pursuing you, has pursued you, and always will be pursuing you. Jesus brings cleansing, Jesus brings gladness, and Jesus is the groom. Will you invite him to your party? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are good, you are loving, you are righteous, you are wise, you are powerful, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, and you are faithful. Lord, we ask that you would make these truths explosively alive in our hearts. Will we see you for who you truly are? That as we behold you, Jesus, I pray that we would see the Father Holy Spirit, would you help us to be transformed? Would you help us to see these things and cherish these things? Jesus, we really, truly are asking that you would reveal your glory and that we would respond and that we would celebrate. Lord, we love you. Amen.